Hello and welcome to another Political Profundity podcast uh, from Modern Times Magazine uh, with John Guzan and Karen Weil, that being me. Uh, it's been another crazy week in our country, and between impeachment hearings that are coming up and some pretty barn-burning elections yesterday, never mind the Democratic race for president, um, there's a lot to talk about. I think we're going to discuss first the impeachment process, where we are in that. Again, Tuesday's elections in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and one in Kansas. Where the Democrats are right now, again, in their race for the, the White House, uh, the, the controversy over Medicare for all, and the never-ending saga of Facebook and political ads. So we're going to start off discussing with also something regarding impeachment. Donald Trump Jr. yesterday named the whistleblower. He's been out recently hawking a book of his. I don't even know the title. Um, although I do know that apparently his father has been using campaign funds to buy uh, a lot of books in bulk. But um, this seems like not the smartest idea to do. I, I think he's identified this person as Eric Ciaramella. And again, I don't know if that's really even been confirmed. And John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know... I the fact that they've wanted to get someone out, I think, um, and, and outed, I guess, as the as as the whistleblower, um, you know, and then that it's uh, Donald Trump Jr. is really the one that 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 makes it public is uh, interesting to say the least. Um, I don't know, you know, obviously uh, the man who is being identified, and I think you're right that it hasn't been confirmed um by anyone um yet at least any news um investigations or news organizations um i don't know him he's not a household name um you know whether people want to try to tie him to joe biden or to any of these other things um you know it kind of is a I, I, I don't know a lot of a lot of hot air and not anything inside of it that is kind of what i'm feeling at this point um and and that you know because it doesn't really matter um, because the other testimony, the other things that have gone on, I don't, I, 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 I don't think his identity matters much, especially when you can't say, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, Hillary Clinton actually was the whistleblower. Um, you know, they can't say that. This is a guy that, you know, if we're going to try to, you know, tar CIA agents or CIA officers and say that they're, you know, got to be, you know, politically partisan. I don't know about that. So. Um, I don't think this changes anything, uh, Karen. I, I, I don't. I just kind of think that, you know, now we're going to know who he is and maybe he's going to have to be forced to testify. But I don't think it really changes anything. It just takes away an argument for, that the uh, GOP had um, that, you know, hey, he's he doesn't have a chance to, to uh, question his accuser. Um, you know, now if everything gets out there and he has to do something, at least hopefully if, if he gets fired from now on or if something happened to him, you know, kind of having his name out in public is kind of a benefit almost to a certain level. Um, uh, it, it wouldn't just be a surprise at that time. So I don't know. I, I, I think it takes a little wind out of the sails. And, and if, if Trump Jr. did it because he thought he was going to help anybody, I don't know whether it necessarily does. Right. I, I also, again, mentioned something about Donald Trump Jr.'s book called Triggered. Wow, that's a really clever title, isn't it? Yeah. I almost can't help but think that he was doing this in part to maybe hype up 
the attention around his book. Um, <clears throat> because again, even though, look, Donald Trump Jr. is not a very subtle person. He's a lot like his father. He seems to enjoy trolling the country. Um, and of course, he's had his own run-ins with uh, congressional hearings. Yeah, last year he testified privately before a Senate committee. I, I don't know if we'll ever find out what was truly discussed there. But it just this seems to be, even for him, an extraordinarily stupid thing to do. Um, yeah. Just given the whole, you know, the nature of, of what we're dealing with right now, and it, as you just said, this doesn't help his father. It really doesn't. I think most Americans would find that unsettling. And let's just try the what about game here. Um, if Hillary Clinton were president right now and in the same kind of trouble Trump is, and her daughter Chelsea Clinton had done this, you can damn well bet there would be a 24-7 media frenzy, never mind what the GOP would be doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I doubt that Trump Jr. will have to face any repercussions for this. Um, it's just another example of, of how this, this man really has absolutely no respect whatsoever for the political process or, or really much of anything else, I guess, and just other than protecting his dad as much as he can and somehow protecting himself. So Yeah, and we're assuming that, that, that he's not um uh, that Trump Jr. isn't doing this by himself without consultation with anyone. This is obviously a coordinated decision, whether it was by his dad or or others. Um, but I would figure his dad signed off on it, don't you? Yeah, I, I, that's a very good point. I, I can't believe for one moment that Trump Jr. would do this in a vacuum. Yeah. His father must have known about it, and, well, his father, as we know, doesn't have much of any common sense either. Um <laughs> You know, it's interesting, the attorneys for the whistleblower, Andrew Bacage and Mark Said, and this is coming from the Washington Examiner, which is, you know, a conservative publication, a pretty strong Trump-supporting one, too. Um, the, you know, they quote the, the attorneys saying, identifying any suspect, suspected name for the whistleblower will place their family at risk of serious harm. We will not confirm or deny any name that is published or promoted by supporters of the president. Um, also, they write disclosure of any name undermines the integrity of the whistleblower system and will deter any future whistleblowers. Um, so, again, this is just this is reckless for a lot of reasons. But I, I almost can't help that this is some sort of publicity stunt by Trump Jr. again to sell his book. So which I, and I don't know where it ranks right now on New York Times you know, bestseller list. But uh, again, you just you you look at these people and you it just it's it's just continual head shaking uh, at the way they behave and the way they react to everything. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, kind of knew that it was you know you felt like it was coming. I I just don't know why they would even push so hard for it. Um, you know, I. I it, it, again, it makes no sense that um, that someone who was listening to it or knew what was going on or, you know, it's it is the CIA's job to kind of know what's going on um, that kind of is influencing or not kind of, but definitely is influencing our foreign policy. They like to be the ones who, if anything's going on, they're handling those kinds of things in different countries and doing it for different reasons, national security reasons. Now, it must have undermined um, the idea of what the CIA would do. And I don't know where, you know, they think they stand on this 
when it is um, when when what was going on is is really the issue. And having a CIA uh, person who is has concerns about this, and again, we know because they're somebody who's in the CIA and who is a CIA officer, they can't be highly partisan because somebody would have they. You know, th- those people don't um, get to go and do things and have any sort of um, uh, uh, reasonable idea of privacy. You know, as we know, they're constantly looking into the backgrounds of CIA officers. It's the only way that you find out that they're not on the take or they're not, you know, pulling um, some of these uh, uh, counter espionage kinds of deals. Um, and so you can't, I don't think claim any sort of level of partisanship because we know what goes on as far as in order for him to keep his clearance. Um, he wasn't, a, 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 you know, somebody's out at, at, at protests and, and doing these sorts of things and, and uh, um, doing things on a political nature and staying in that job. It just doesn't, those things don't work together. Um, you know, they would be removed. So I don't, I don't understand what this is going to help them. I don't understand why they even pushed for it. Um, because especially now that you find out what his job is and what his role is, it's even less, it seems like there's going to be less for the GOP argument to hang on. I mean, do you see it that way? I mean, it seems like this is, you know, whether it's to sell his book or not, it makes no sense because it can't help you that it's a CIA officer. Right. And I, I'm just, I'm constantly amazed at political party that once used to revere intelligence agencies in this country now claim that they're somehow all out to get Donald Trump. And in you know, the CIA, look, it has a history that is, to say the least, complicated and not always in a good way when we consider the kind of role it played in overthrowing other governments, especially back, you know, dating from the 50s all the way into the 1970s until there were reforms from the Church Commission that's named after the late Senator Frank Church, by the way, not an actual physical church. One goes and worships in. Um, and, I, I, you know, just because they don't happen to like the fact that the CIA and other agencies have said, yes, the Russians interfered in the 2016 election, mainly to benefit Trump. So in, instead of acknowledging any of that and having coming up with legitimate you know, proposals to say, hey, how can we really reform our, our election system to stop this from ever happening again? You know, but they're not going to do that because, you know, it's all about protecting Donald Trump at all costs, regardless of the damage done to our governmental institutions. Um, also, something interesting here in this article, Eric Trump claims that uh, I think real clear politics already ID'd him and so did other news outlets. John, I have not seen that anywhere, and I don't know if you have either. So, and again, given it's Donald Trump Jr., you really seriously have to take anything he says with a grain of salt. Um, but this is just again, let's let's remind everybody: if this were Chelsea, if this, I'm sorry, if this were Chelsea Clinton, you would have an uproar that would never end, and for good reason, because Chelsea Clinton would have no business doing this. But you know, the Trump family obviously just does not care about, you know, the supposed wall that they, speaking of walls, they were supposed to have between, you know, Donald Trump in the Oval Office and his family running his businesses. So, you know, because you constantly see his, the two older sons out all the time on Fox News, especially, you know, know, defending their father when I thought, you know, they're supposed to be 
just running his business and not being involved in politics at all. Um, so I, I, I get this is troubling. I, I don't think it helps Trump, and it, it just it, it further reinforces the you know kind of the perception of his son as an extraordinarily reckless and arrogant individual. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So that's just my take on it. I, you know, we'll see if if this man truly is a whistleblower if he comes forward and what he has to say, but. I do agree that this could harm the whistleblower pro, you know, whistleblower programs, which we do need to have, uh, no matter who is in, who is the president and or who controls Congress. So, yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, mean, that's just those are my thoughts on it. It's, with with, know, with with Trump Senior being, um, he seems like you know he when he wants to lie, he'll admit the truth to a certain level. And, you know, when he says that the CIA and these other, you know, organizations are out to get him, maybe they are, um, because maybe he's done things that they want to get him for. And, um, you know, I think that defense goes a long way in your just, uh, I guess it's a strategy of deniability. I think that's what Trump does all the time. He denies everything besides things that he can, you know, praise himself for, um, it's kind of, you know, to the same idea of, of what Lev Parnas, you know, and, and his uh, fraud guarantee, um, you know, is was he guaranteeing that he's a fraud? You know, um, and I know that, you know, his, you know, the fraud guarantee website, if you go to that thing, um, which interestingly is still up for anybody who's interested. Um, if you go there, you know, he talks about how he made his money um, being one of the first guys to ship goods, um, to and from the former Soviet Union in the early 1990s. So you wonder, you know, um, if he wasn't connected for a long time, obviously, but then he decides to start a company called Fraud Guarantee and, and, you know, not to get too far off the subject, but, you know, naming your company Fraud Guarantee when you're supposedly saying it's going to fight investor fraud, um, you know, it just, you know, it's kind of this outright kind of saying people are out to get me because they are. Um, and, you know, we're investigating fraud because we are frauds. I mean, I, you know, he's trying to, you know, trying to go a long way, I think, to make the same point. But they might be going after him because, you know, he really is compromised. This is Trump. Um, and, and so, you know, by saying, you know, they're, they're out to get me, you know, yeah, it, that, you know, that's a completely truthful statement. But he's not mentioning that it's really why. Um, and we all know the whole connection. I mean, it all goes back to 2016 anyway. Is the same argument that the uh, Soviet or Soviet Union, Russia, and all these others, the IRS, um, which they name all their stuff, the Inter IRA, the Internet Research Agency, um, you know, all these all these acronyms and all these other things that sound like other things, and they're all saying it's Ukraine. It wasn't them, and um, that's really what they're pushing. I mean, this is also circular to the Mueller report. Um, and that the whistleblower was interested in it. And, and I agree, ultimately, that, that this is just weakening it if they keep, you know, continue down this road and, and, and focus on the whistleblower and not the crime um, of, or, you know, I guess the compromise, which the president was opening himself up to. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, of, of issues here, and it just seems like the GOP doesn't want to talk about those at all. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the Democrats are completely focused on it, but we'll have to find out. And I think as the public hearings start and, and, you know, you know, Karen, I don't know if you're ready to kind of go there, but, you know, these public hearings um, are really going to tell really if whether this whistleblower thing blows over, um, whether we're still talking about it. But 
Um, you know, the public hearings are going to put, you know, sound bites on this thing. It's going to put um, new information out on it. And it's really going to change the narrative. And the whistleblower is going to be a footnote um, to history, um, you know, depending on what these what this other testimony is. And I don't know how the how the how the GOP can go after um, this whistleblower in public hearings, especially when it's a CIA officer. Um, and, and I also kind of think that we are moving towards, um, you know, it going to the full um, or, the, you know, the House deciding this, you know, either re- re- probably right after Thanksgiving. And and that's where we're at. I, I, I don't know how else you feel about the public hearings. Are you thinking that they're going to be, um, you know, possibly explosive? Um, are the Republicans going to be walking into a trap here? Well, I, you know, I, I just there's so many dynamics swirling around this, John. It's, you know, it's not even funny. I mean, next Wednesday, William Taylor and George Kent are going to testify. And then on Friday, the 15th, uh, Marie Jovanovic, I was afraid I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of her name, are going to testify regarding, you know, Trump's pressure on the Ukrainian government to go after Joe Biden in return for aid. And that's basically what all of this boils down to. And again, the only reason this even happened, I suspect, is because after Mueller testified in July, Trump thought he was off the hook and could just do anything now without any sort of uh, pushback. Um, I, you know, I just, I think I, my attitude is, I, I just, we'll have to wait until the testimony. It, it could be a very, uh, you know, somber affair, where they don't you know, really reveal any barn burners, but simply you know, reconfirm what many people already believe regarding Donald Trump and, and the Ukrainian president. You know, it, or it could go the other way. Um, I, I do find it interesting that the, the GOP wants Jim Jordan to replace yeah. Devin Nunez um, on the Intelligence, intelligence Committee. That's and really as the chair... Uh, if I've got that right, yeah. which I, that to me is, I, I think it shows they're either look, I mean, and, and then frankly, neither one are, you know, have particularly been impressive on this, but Jim Jordan, especially who really tends to go into conspiracyville. I, I'm just, I, honestly, if I could tell the GOP anything, it's like, you're making a mistake. You should have someone who handles this like an adult asks tough, but fair questions. Yeah, and I, yeah, you know, yeah. I just, Jim Jordan isn't the guy to do that. So I, I, it almost shows to me, John, on some level, well, maybe the Republicans, they do realize Trump is going to get impeached and there's not much they can do about that other than continue to muddy the waters and, and, and as a way to give Trump more time. I, I, you know, I just, it seems like a very foolish strategy I here. I completely agree with you. Um, I completely agree. You're not, you know, you're not talking about the, the Watergate era where you had, you know, Statesman, much more sensible Republicans and statesmen who, you know, clearly, even though many still continue to defend Nixon, they, you know, they, there was a time that came where they realized, you know, he's guilty and we just can't do this anymore. And we have to, you know, we have to care about our country more than we do our party affiliation. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm just, I can't, you know, you heard all the build up earlier this year before Robert Mueller testified. Now, I think that was still a more effective hearing than, than pundits may have believed. I agree. But I also thought it's going to take time for this to really seep into the American, you know, consciousness. Because, again, it is such a – that is a particularly complicated 
uh, you know, set of events that occurred regarding Trump and Russian interference. Uh, but the you know get the Ukrainian situation that that's a very simple picture, um, and you know, and it is going to be up to Democrats to prove that yes, Trump indeed pressured the Ukrainian government to harm a political rival, and that is you know that's against the law. So, so I I just I tend to be skeptical in terms of the idea that yes, this one hearing is going to change everything. Again, these things take time for them to reach a lot of American voters. But when we look at the numbers supporting impeachment for Trump, they have risen in the last year or so. And I don't think that's any accident. It's because yeah. people are learning more and more about these alleged, these allegations against Trump. And right. they, you know, to many of them, this is not something that's, that's acceptable. So yeah. and I, I guess, you know, the, the old tagline, we'll have to wait and see. Oh, I completely agree. But just, you know, just to, jump on your back here. Um, I do agree with you that I think Jordan replacing Nunez um, is not a good idea. Um, replacing Nunez with somebody else um, might have been a good idea. Um, right. You know, but I don't even know whether that person exists. Um, it does seem like, um, you know, Donald Trump's calling the shots in the House now for the you know minority. Um, I don't think that McCarthy's making that calculation so much as Trump is um, for McCarthy. Um, and, and you know, that's where, you know, we start then discussing being eligible for impeachment. Um, you know, having that level of buy-in, it, it, it troubles me um, to have the president wield that much power. And I think, you know, we've talked about what long-term ramifications of Trump are going to be. Um, that there is going to be a severe restriction on uh, executive power by the legislative branch uh, moving forward when you can get a president who's willing to sign these. Um, and, you know, because now we know that there's no hope. Um, but, um, you know, the National Emergency Act is one. Uh, we know that that's going to change after what he's trying, what he's trying to pull right now with the border wall. Um, they're going to uh, uh, limit that power. Um, but just what he's doing to really effectuate a change to legislative, um, um, uh, ch- you know, chair jobs, uh, uh, you know, um, is just I, 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 I think that the legislative branch has to know that they have to draw that line, whether they're the same party or not. Um, and then to further jump on your back, um, I think Jordan does a worse job than Nunes, um, just because Nunes um, – will probably not lead them down the road as much. I think that Jordan has a chance to really do some damage and make it um, so focused on the rest of it that it looks like they're not even doing anything. And it, and it just hurts Republicans down the line um, when we come to 2020. Um, and I don't think Mr. No Suit Jacket, which is Jim Jordan's real calling card, as he never wears that suit jacket, always has his rolled up sleeves, um, is really going to be an issue. I mean, and you saw Chris Cuomo a few weeks ago on CNN. He he literally started, you know, pulling out, well, you have stuff in your background too, talking about his little wrestling issues, I guess, in the background of Ohio State uh, kind of thing. Um, you know, he's going to be put under the microscope when this happens too. And I don't think anybody really wants this to be a smear fest, but it looks like it's probably going to be. Um, but I think it'll focus around, though, really what they're talking about. And so... I think it hurts everybody else and only helps the 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 uh, Democrats impeachment cause um, when 
when the evidence comes out and it's really discussing how this kind of corruption has been so pervasive. So, you know, I, I do see it being bad. And the last little bit I want to throw out there is that the whole Thanksgiving thing. And I think that that's, I, you know, I kind of feel like that's been driving things and I feel like it will continue to do so because they'll know what's going on. And I think it's because people from households across America are going to get together after these public hearings, after a lot of them have already been done. And it's late in November. It's the 28th this year. And they're going to all be together. And that's going to be, you know, the around the dinner talking. When when people are sitting there watching football, they're also going to be talking Trump impeachment. And um, I think it's really going to set public opinion. I think people are going to know after that really where to go. I think the Republicans, especially in the Senate, are going to know what lays out there for them. Um, those polls that really come out after Thanksgiving and after, um, it, if not all, most of the public hearings have already happened. Um, I think then we're going to see where where it is. And as you say, you have to wait and see what happens. And that's really where we're going to know if, whether this is going to be a ceremonial show or whether there's going to be some possibility to it. But again, I like playing Karnak when we do our, our podcast. So <laughs> so I, I, I take off my Swami hat. Yeah, well, very, very well done there, Mr. Johnny Carson. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think it's interesting in terms of talking about impeachment, how that resonated with yesterday's elections. As many people may have known, we had elections yesterday in Kentucky, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and in general, save for the governor's race in Mississippi, Democrats did very well. Uh, of course, one of the most covered elections was the gubernatorial race between Matt Bevan and Andy Bershear, I think I pronounced that name right. Sorry, that always trips me up a bit. Uh, Bershear won by a little over 5,000 votes. It was extraordinarily close. In very deep red Kentucky, this is a state Donald Trump won by 30 percentage points in 2016. Um, you know, I, I, there's an interesting sort of theory about this that because Trump went in and he went in campaigned for Bevan in Kentucky on Monday night and basically made it about him, of course, and that you have to elect him because otherwise that's going to hurt me. What he was trying to do was weaponize impeachment. And I think it, it backfired, especially there in Kentucky. I, you know, it, it doesn't help also that Matt Bevin was an extraordinarily unpopular governor who blew up Medicaid and just was generally known as a really surly, unpleasant kind of guy. Um, and it's still a very close election, which speaks to the fact that, again, Kentucky is now an overwhelmingly Republican state. But as we saw with the Alabama Senate election in 2017, every now and then voters can, you know, in states we think are so predictable can surprise us. Um, we saw in Alabama where, you know, there was a choice between uh, Doug Jones and Roy Marr, who you know, clearly had some personal problems. And uh, voters, you know, through a very close call, chose Doug Jones. Now Jones is up for re-election next year, and it, I don't, it's hard to say if he can hold on to that seat. But I think along with Kentucky, John, you know, there, there, it's, the Democrats did well in the suburbs around Philadelphia and other areas in Pennsylvania that used to be very Republican. And, and also back to Kentucky for a moment, they also did well in these kind of suburbs, too, outside of places like Louisville that, again, used to be GOP strongholds. Um, and, and I think not only sort of did Trump's attempt to weaponize impeachment backfire, but there's no question these elections were a referendum on him. Uh, and, you know, it has a lot of Republicans very nervous about next year. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think they should be worried. Um, 
you know, Mitch McConnell, which I, you know, I, you know, maybe I missed it, but you didn't mention that too. And what that means for him. Um, very you know, good point. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess, you know, what's trending on Twitter now is well, Mitch is next. Um, uh, so, <laughs> you know, I think I saw that in the story today. Obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not a Twitter file for sure, but, um, you know, some big wins and, and, you know, it just shows, I think, um, you know, where the electorate goes. I mean, like we like to talk about all the time that, um, you know, and again, I'll just speak for myself, but, um, <laughs> Where we kind of like to look at um, candidates and say, well, how do I feel on the issues? I don't really care what's, you know, what little, you know, what letters next to their name. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. I'm going to vote for one of these people on on the issues. It's just that I haven't had many GOP candidates that that I could check off enough boxes on or some of them I couldn't check any on, Um, you know, being from Arizona. um, You know, sometimes that makes that very difficult. Um, you know, but I think what, what, what happened in Kentucky, um, you know, there was, there was, there were some issues with the incumbent. Um, we know that. Um, so I don't think that we can necessarily take this as saying it was just about national politics, but it was definitely, um, you know, a lot about national politics and even Trump tried to make it so, um, you know, we, uh, it was making the rounds about his, his appearance in Kentucky and, and saying basically, Hey, make life easier on me, you know, come on, you know, vote, vote, vote for uh, the governor. Um, and it didn't work. Um, you know, it also sees, you know, whether all these people stand up for him, you know, I, I really do think this impacts impeachment as we talked about, um, you know, people have to realize it's not, it might not help them if it doesn't help them in 2020, what does it matter? Um, you know, I know that they don't really want Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or, uh, you know, Kamala Harris uh, um, or, you know, Mayor Pete. But they still have to, you know, realize that if Trump's going to go all the way, he, he might lose anyway. And, you know, maybe it gives him a better break, um, especially because he's not going to help him on the campaign trail. I think that's the other thing that right. it really showed. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. Trump won Pennsylvania in 2016, albeit by what one percent? Uh, um, you know, again, we we these ideas that states like Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin are always these sort of deep blue places. That is just not true. Um, but it, it, let's mention Virginia here for a moment. This is a state now for the first time in 25 years. Democrats have now narrowly, you know, taken over the legislature, i.e., won a majority of seats. Which is also, I think, Virginia, even though it has become more of a blue state, it still can be very much a, a bellwether. And that, you know, that's telling, even with the controversy over their, their governor, Northam, and his, you know, blackface controversy, which he handled very badly earlier this year, uh, you know, apparently that wasn't uh, enough of a motivator for people to vote Republicans. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I, I know sometimes the hype, whether it's Republicans have a good night or Democrats do, it it doesn't always mean it's going to, you know, be the same result. But, you know, nevertheless, I I think for Republicans, they really have to stop and think whether, you know, they want to continue supporting Donald Trump and the numbers that they do. And, of course, I'm talking about Republicans in Congress, not Trump's base, because it seems like there's just limited returns on that. Well, you know, we've talked about state races from Tuesday's election. Um, now we're going to talk about the people 
in the Democratic Party who are running for yeah. the uh, the big race next year. Uh, anybody who's been following developments within the last week, and it kind of seems given with all the you know the news about upcoming impeachment hearings and some other developments, it, it doesn't seem like Democratic candidates have been making a lot of news. Kind of the biggest news from the last week was Beto O'Rourke, uh, the former congressional rep from Texas, who nearly beat Ted Cruz last year for the Senate race there. He is out of the presidential race. Uh, frankly, his campaign never really picked up a lot of steam. And this is somebody who, you know, maybe there was a little bit too much hype about uh, early on. Uh, he had a Vanity Fair cover earlier this year. Uh, he was sort of looked at as maybe the new type of Democrat who could not only win Texas on the national level, but have enough appeal to yeah. win the White House. But again, uh, you know, his his run never really, you know, it, it was criticized quite a bit, especially during his debate appearances, where some some debates I think he did rather well. There were others where he just seemed off. Um, so he's out now. Uh, so, you know, it, polls and the way they're shaping up, it, it clearly seems like to me, John, this is still a race between or really among three candidates, I should say, former Vice President Joe Biden, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, and of course, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. They're all leading the, the race uh, for the Democratic nomination, according to a national poll out Wednesday from Monmouth University. Um, these are the people who are the heavyweights right now, obviously. Biden had eight years with Barack Obama. Right. Uh, Bernie Sanders, we all know the, the incredible trajectory his, his uh, candidacy has seen since he first ran in 2016. And, of course, Elizabeth Warren has been shaking things up quite a bit. Now, sort of trailing them are the South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's got 9% among Democrats, which is not bad, all things being equal. Uh, Kamala Harris, the California senator, is only at 5%. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, businessman Andrew Yang are tied 3% each. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar only has 2%. And, and that's it right now. Um, then I think I, I don't even know where Tulsi Gabbard or Marion Williamson or Delaney uh, are, are where they're polling at all right now. Right. Um, again, I don't think O'Rourke made really any difference here in terms of, of you know, people. I, I don't know where his followers are going to go, or who they're going to put their allegiance behind. Um, but, you know, it just it just goes to show here we are how many months now into, you know, the race for the White House. And it's it, to me, John, it's sort of the same three people, which is fine. It's understandable. Joe Biden, Warren and Sanders are the big names here that most people know. Uh, but it's it just it, it's just interesting to see sort of how O'Rourke's campaign fizzled out. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you know, I think O'Rourke was, um, you know, without the El Paso shooting, maybe he didn't even make it this far. Um, I think it was interesting that he yeah. said, um, you know, um, around that time as he started to dip after, people said, well, you're going to run for Senate. Obviously, you'd probably be in, 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 in you know, really easy in uh, to take a, you know, to take that Republican um, Senate seat away. Um, and, you know, he just kind of praised the other candidates. Him leaving at this point in time, I think maybe – opens that up um you know, supposedly he blew 14 million dollars um that oh was gosh. donated um you know to run for president um you know it's it's expensive um and i think that's why he had to leave he knew that he wasn't going to be able to do it um he didn't have enough of the vote um you know as we know there's there's a few of these other folks that are going to be going away and i think it 
it changes the perspective of the race. As we had talked about the last time, it's really what's going to happen when you have those first few primaries. And, um, you know, I think California moved up um, their primary for Kamala Harris, and um, it hasn't been looking good for her uh, poll-wise. Um, they thought that, no, you know, happened. and so, you know, there's a, I think there's a few surprises in there. It depends on, on, on who drops out, who wins, um, where we end up getting to, um, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of time here and, um, you know, there's also, um, you know, you know, basically those that there's that bottom 10% of, of support, you know, where does Yang support go? Where does Gabbard support go? Where does Booker support go? Because it's pretty obvious that they're still not there. I think Harris is still hanging on the periphery and still has a, the potential to maybe move into a new, um, you know, uh, strata. Um, if she can pick up some people that leave, um, uh, uh, you know, when other people drop out, um, you know, I, 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 I still think it's still wide open for anybody at this point. And, you know, we, we have on our list today to kind of talk about Medicare for all. And that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, it's good for us to talk about it. Um, uh, you know, and we can get to that when we do, but I, I really think that that's where we're going to be. Um, you know, m- you know, moving forward is we, uh, I, you know, I completely agree with you. You got, you got, uh, uh Biden, Sanders and Warren and they're kind of leading the deal. Um, and then, you know, you still got Buttigieg and, and Harris that are, have a possibility, but the others, um, you know, I don't know why they're still in except just to kind of get their, their, their message out. I really think that that line gets drawn as nobody's going to make that monumental of a comeback. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, Booker, um, uh, Yang and, uh, Gabbard or, or, you know, it's basically over. It's just where their, their percentages go at this point. Um, and, and when we're going to be waiting to see, you know, what happens as, um, you know, there are, as we had talked about, there are a few, um, we have, uh, Senator Warren, we have Senator Booker, we have Senator Harris. They are all potential jurors in the impeachment, um, and removal, I guess in the impeachment trial and, and the possible removal of president Trump. Um, you know, anything can happen with any of, of, of those uh, four um, that could, you know, maybe make them raise to a different level. Um, you know, I, 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 I just have a feeling that, 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 that it's not going to be Booker, but I definitely think that that's, that's one of the openings for Harris. And as you know, I've kind of, you know, had her as my, as, as, as my uh, dark horse favorite for a long time. Um, you know, maybe I'm seeing it that way, but I think that, you know, I just, I, you know, I just don't know if America is, is willing to go in with Cory Booker at this point. And, 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 you know, um, so I don't know, that's the way I'm seeing it, that there's still a possibility there. Well, I, you know, what this, I, I think, whereas, whereas I feel that 2016 had too few people running for the Democratic nomination. I mean, we've seen this year, there were just too many, um, and and you've had you have this internal struggle within the Democratic Party right now. Will the voters prefer somebody who is older and experienced and maybe represents? I don't want to say the status quo, but very close to it, such as Joe Biden, who is still quite popular. Um, and obviously, the Trump campaign looked at him early on as someone who could easily beat Trump, which I think Biden would do. Um, or do you do they go for maybe somebody like Elizabeth Warren who has these rather bold and some would say wrong proposals, but nevertheless, you know, or Bernie Sanders who you know his his crusade has mainly been against Wall Street. 
you know, but again, these are people who are all, you know, 60 plus years old. Yeah, 60 is not old at all. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as opposed to somebody like Kamala Harris, who's only in her mid 50s and, and def- definitely represents, I think, what California is today. Now, I'm not talking about always the politics, but just a multiracial state with a, you know, a very diverse demographic and one that is leaning more progressive all the time. Um, or do they, they look at somebody like Cory, as you said, Cory Booker, who I, I, I don't think his campaign really has ever caught fire. Um, I'm not sure it can, you know, would he be a good VP nominee? Certainly. I, I think Klobuchar would certainly Harris would. Um, I, I just, Andrew Yang, I think, Again, he's got some interesting ideas, but I think for a lot of Democrats, the idea of some untested businessman going into office, a lot of them are a no on that. Uh, so it's, you know, I I don't mean to contradict myself because, again, you see who the leaders are, but, you you know, a whole lot can happen between now and Iowa, which is the first big, you know, race. So I just, it's, it's anybody's guess who might be leading after that, yeah. uh, you know, and all we need to do is look at previous campaigns as evidence of whoever is thought to be the front runner may not be in another two or three months. Um, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of good in some ways to me that you're, you're having the herd, so to speak, thin out a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it just makes, it makes some of these other candidates work harder. I think it, it frankly gives those who are in the lead a little sharper focus in terms of how they're going to take Trump on if he still is in office, which again, you know, anybody who thinks that there isn't a chance Trump might not be the nominee in 2020, I don't know if you want to bet money in, in Vegas on that. He may not be, um, although I know the odds are so low on that right now. So it's, you know, again, it's to me, this just past week with O'Rourke dropping out was the biggest news. And it's, I think sort of right now the attention is really on what's going to happen with impeachment hearings. I'm not sure a lot of people are really focused on the democratic race at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think in those, you know, some of those States where, uh, you know, if you're in Iowa, uh, if you're in New Hampshire, I think, you know, you already realize what's going on there. Um, you know, those people are being bombarded all year long and that's, you know, they're willing to go through that, I think is one of the reasons why they're the bellwether states, why they have those two, you know, the caucus and the primary, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I agree. Um, it's, you know, we, we don't really know where it's going to go, but you know, there is something to what is going on in developing in the race, um, that, you know, you have Warren and Sanders as, the folks that can be tabbed socialist um, in the general election, you know, and that's just, you know, unavoidable. And I, I think the closer we get to it, the more that's going to be discussed. And we know that that's on the docket already in New Hampshire and Iowa. Um, and, you know, it goes into the Medicare for all idea. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know what the Warren and Sanders supporters, I think, you know, that they're partially supporting them because of that, because of the fact that they're going to try to take away, uh, funds that, uh, you know, in order to pay for some of these things, they're going to take it away from uh, corporations and the wealthy, um, uh, you know, cut some other spending, especially military spending that they see there. Although, you know, Sanders won't really, um, you know, say that, you know, we don't want to talk about it until we can negotiate it. We don't want to get ourselves in a box, which is, you know, the right way to go about it. Um, you know, whether that works politically, I don't know. 
Um, but I think it's going to impact both the primary race when, when, when we really get down to it, because we know what happened um, after the first uh, debate where Harris kind of broke out a little bit. And then it, it, it started it started to be shaken out that people were looking at it as, well, we got Biden and Harris that are saying that there can be private insurance and Sanders that's and Warren that are saying no. Uh, Biden saying, I like Obamacare, let's keep it. And so she became this other candidate that was kind of saying she wanted Medicare for all, but not really, and then not saying that she needed to ban private health insurance. And it became a thing. And so I, you know, I, I really see it as becoming, you know, at least in the, in the, just because of the way that Trump doesn't have a primary challenger. So he's still going to be focusing on attacking all the Democrats. And, and I think it'll shape the race to a certain level. Um, just internally um, and externally, that's going to be the crux um, right now. Is Medicare for all? Do you see that that same way? Um, that 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 that's going to be really what defines these candidates um, besides their age? Because I think you know a lot of Americans just think no one's ever going to die, so I I don't really think they think about <laughs> it anymore. Look, if Trump is still the nominee next year, this that election is going to be a complete not a referendum on him. Uh, and right. if he's impeached, which, you know, the odds are he's going to be, um, you know, even if he's not even if he's not convicted in the Senate, he's still going to be very damaged goods going into next year. If by some chance he's not the nominee and say it's President Pence who's running for a term on his own, um, I, I think definitely the entire focus is going to shift to the idea of social programs. And, and Medicare for all, you know, in terms of Warren's proposal, it certainly has its challenges. I mean, you're seeing some Democratic senators like Bob Menendez of New Jersey who can be a little conservative. Certainly Doug Jones of Alabama, pretty conservative senator for a Democrat, are saying, no, I don't support this, mainly because of the costs. And that's that's its own battle. But, of course, Republicans at this moment, unless I'm wrong, John, they don't have any real proposal in terms of reforming our healthcare system. They tried to get rid of ACA in 2017. We know the now departed senior senator from your home state stopped that from happening. Um, so it's, I, I, you know, this is a plan that's estimated to cost, according to some reports. And I believe Warren herself has said this. It's going to cost $20 trillion. I mean, now she says it won't include a middle-class tax increase. Instead, it would be taxing the very wealthy. And you've seen the flurry of stories about how big billionaires are calling her out for this. I, you know, just to me, I, the idea of the entire idea of public health care, I've always said there is no perfect system. Certainly not in private insurance. I'm fortunate enough to have that. But, you know, has it been a headache at times? Absolutely. Uh, the idea that there's any kind of perfect plan from either side of the spectrum is nonsense. Healthcare is ultimately, at the end of the day, a very personal thing. What works for one person in terms of his or her plan and the kind of treatment that they need, you know, that may not work for someone else. Uh, you, you've seen, in, you know, in, in European countries where socialized medicine, for the most part, is effective, but it certainly has drawbacks. Uh, you know, I think, again, Warren has a very bold plan here. The problem is if she ends up being the Democratic nominee and does win the presidency, She's then going to have to work on, you know, her fellow Democrats in Congress to to get on board with this. So far from what we're hearing, some of these senators, you know, 
they're not on board. And it's not just people like Menendez or Doug Jones. It's Tom Carper. It's Mark Warner of Virginia, um, possibly Sherrod Brown of Ohio, who just got reelected by a pretty big number in a you know, still pretty red state now. So it's, you know, again, unfortunately, what it shows is that the healthcare, you know, debate is never over. <laughs> no matter what we pass or try to rescind or or whatever, it's just it's a constantly evolving issue, and we are far from. I don't want to say perfect because there's no such thing, but a a better plan that truly does cover enough people without. You know the sort of divisiveness that has happened with so many other proposals. Um, I, again, I just we're a long way, obviously, from the election next year. And if any Democrat wins it, he or she is going to have to come up with some idea in terms of either strengthening ACA or perhaps finding a, you know a plan to sort of attach onto it. Um, again, I if somebody knows what the GOP is proposing, I'd love to hear about it. Because basically it's get rid of the ACA and, oh, we'll come up with something later. I don't think that's going to work for voters, not even certain swing voters who would be inclined to vote for Trump again. All right. And, and, and you know, yeah. as, as, as far as the costs go, um, you know, they are estimating, um, I guess there was a study for da, 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 um, that came out. Uh, da, 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 da. And I can't see exactly what the title is off the top there of my head. There are too many studies, John. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they did estimate that about 71% of, of people who are doing single payer would probably pay a little bit more um, because of, you know, than, than, than paying for the private insurance that they are currently pay. Um, the wealthy people would pay the most. Um, and, you know, it is a, it's a social tax. And, you know, it's going to be attacked as such. Um you know, whether whether we agree with it or not, you know, you have to be at some points in time and we never know whether because it will be a referendum on Trump, you might actually get a candidate that's able to win because people say, well, if this is what it's going to take to get rid of this guy, um, that's what I'll do. Um, but I guess, you know, the big idea, I think, is, is that we still have that uh, miss, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the misassumption that, uh, or the wrong-headed assumption, the wrong assumption that if a if a somebody running for president says I'm going to do single payer, um, that it's going to happen. Um, they still need the Congress um, to actually do it, um, and and so I guess it's what who what members of the House you're voting in, and they're all not new, so we have a lot of incumbents who are in the same spot, and then you need a Senate that would also pass it. Um, and that is all very doubtful. So, you know, I, I, I think that that acknowledgement, I think at some point in time has to be there that no matter whether Sanders or and, you know, Sanders and Warren both win the, or one of them wins the presidency and Democrats control can maintain control over the House and take control of the Senate. That is still not a guarantee that single payer happens. And, you know, I, right. I, you know, I think when the electorate gets to that point, um, it becomes different to look at. Now, will Sanders, is it, is, do Sanders and Warren have more issues than just single payer? Yes, they would affect, you know, impact many other different elements of the executive branch and how that's, of course, again, as we always talked about, how it's spread out throughout the government because of the power of the executive branch. Um but it's not guaranteed that this would happen for sure. And and most likely it seems like it's probably 
doubtful that it would. Um, you know, there might be some changes, but it's doubtful that it would even pass at all. Do you see it the same way? Because that's the way I see it. I see it I, that even I, if Sanders or Warren and they can main and they take control of the whole government, I would I would still put it at below fifty percent odds that they would actually pass it. Wouldn't you? Right. I, I you make some very good points. Let's harken back a million years ago, not really, to Barack Obama winning in two thousand eight. Democrats retaking, you know, they already took back Congress in 2006, but then they strengthened their numbers, although they really only had a solid majority for roughly a year or so until things changed. But in March 2010, they passed ACA, which if anybody remembers the town halls and all the other frenzies surrounding it was, you know, quite a battle. And then, you know, between when it was passed and the rollout in 2014, and there were just all kinds of PR disasters connected to it. And, you know, it cost the Democrats, you know, the Congress in 2010, and they lost even more seats in 2014. Um, just think about that. Now, and, and most people were not thrilled with it until a few years later when they started benefiting from it. And they, they decided, hey, I like ACA. I like Obamacare. And, of course, that led to, in some ways, 2018, the vote, the election was not just a referendum on Trump. It was also people being very concerned about what would happen to their health care if the Republicans tried to really roll back ACA. Um, so, I, you know, whoever wins, if it's a Democrat, I mean, Donald Trump is not serious about anything. Let's not kid ourselves. But if, if, if somebody, you know, who is serious wins and they, they have an idea, they're really going to have to have every number in place and be able to sell voters on exactly how they're going to pay for it and how it's going to make healthcare better. I, you know, get, we've seen so many, so many price tags thrown around for an overall, you know, I don't want to call it socialized medicine, but a single payer system, if you will, you know, ranging in the trillions that it, it just, that's something I think for a lot of voters is, is kind of a deal breaker. If they do, if there are not all the details in place, so I again I, I don't you know we're nowhere near in my mind you know a, a, a solid proposal yeah. that's going to be a reality and say by 2030 or 2035. Right, and you know as you mentioned with healthcare, uh, with uh, Obamacare, um, with Medicare, with uh, Social Security. Um, you give people social programs and they tend to like them. Um, there's not many people out there that are complaining about Social Security anymore, although there was. There's people that railed against the fact that income tax was really unconstitutional um, when we passed the first income tax um, in the uh, early 1900s. Um, it's just a change of, of looking at it. And, um, you know, I, I know that it scares some people, but I think that one of the biggest things that it'll do is maybe – bring up a greater discussion about about uh, social programs and what they mean. And and maybe it'll take socialism away from being a, a, a dirty word. Um, you know, like, as I mentioned, um, Social Security is basically a social program. Um, it's basically socialism. Um, it all really depends on how you want to define it. And you'll have a lot of right-wingers now, if you go in and research it, they'll have many ways that they try to describe how well, it's not really socialism, um, but it is, um, and and so you know you can you can have these discussions all you want because they know that they're um, a lot of their voters don't want it to go away, and 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 
So, you know, it just the greater discussion, I think, will help. And for those who are really pining for single payer, um, you know, how far it's actually come that you can have two presidential candidates getting the 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 numbers that Sanders and Warren are getting um, just shows that 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 progression is on its way, whether it whether it comes to fruition in 2020, whether it comes into fruition um, four years, uh, eight years, 12 years from then, um, it seems like it's on the docket. Um, and will be now a point of discussion until it actually gets there. I mean, it just seems like it's a foregone conclusion at this point, and and one in the shorter term than the longer. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Well, obviously, along with the Democratic race, some other big news that's been happening, of course, is the ever or never-ending, should I say, concerns about social media and the impact on our political system today. Uh, recently, Twitter announced it was not going to run any political ads. Now, Facebook has not yet followed suit. Um, some argue that sort of pressing Facebook is going to backfire, that you know Mark Zuckerberg will never go along with this the way, say, Jack Dorsey has. With Twitter, you know, John, I have to say yesterday, I was watching a frontline documentary on artificial intelligence. And one of, along with the entire race between China and U.S. for the U.S. for in domination in this field, it also talked about the impact of social media and how political ads are tailored depending on the user. Uh, I mean, it was very eye-opening and, and fascinating. Um, I, I think, it, it, to me, it is really something that Twitter has made this decision, given the kind of revenue loss uh, associated with it. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what Facebook is going to do. I, I think certainly Mark Zuckerberg, this is, you know, the last few years have really not been the best for him in terms of his public image, um, given especially the the idea that social media and the, and the use of political ads have, have pretty much overwhelmingly benefited Republicans. And some would argue it's because they're just better at messaging, which they absolutely are for the most part. Uh, Democrats have been a little bit slow on the upkeep here to say the least, although it's funny, John, 15 years ago, Democrats were the ones sort of who were better at this, especially when you looked at the phenomenon of Howard Dean's presidential campaign. And I know, Obama's very ancient history now. Too. Um, um, they really, I mean, but I, I it was do, Obama's campaign I'm that sorry? really pushed Twitter. I mean, Obama was really one of the... Uh, uh, I, you know, and lest we forget, President Obama, very successful early social media right. campaign. John McCain's team never could catch up to him. Right. I, I think also that reflected the fact that, you know, President Obama's you know, fan base was basically, or voting base, I should say, was younger, as opposed to, you know, voters for John McCain and therefore already much more inclined to use the Internet and social media. Now, again, obviously the GOP has learned from that, and that's one of the reasons, well, illegal activity aside, why Donald Trump is in office now. But I, I do think, John, my first main observation about Twitter's decision, I think it's public pressure that brought this on. Um, and, you know, obviously Twitter is responding. I mean, do you see Facebook following suit anytime soon? No. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. uh, you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't see Facebook following um, suit um, until uh, there's some problems. I, I, I do think that the the adequate argument has been made um, for why Facebook needs to do some sort of review is because they were using ads to advertise um, incorrect voting days and times, uh, locations, 
Um, and so, you know, you can't do that. That's actually against the law. And I think that you will have right. some folks that will actually um, tell them that they need to stop it um, because there is no way um, that they can allow that to continue. Um, so, you know, they will hold the company, um, you know, they'll, they'll take them to court and do whatever they have to do based upon the local jurisdictions. Um, so I do think that there's going to be a change. I just don't think Facebook's going to change on purpose. And, you know, as I think, you know, there was an article in Vox and um, that, that kind of illustrates this idea and, um, you know, very well. But it's just the nature of those two platforms. They're highly different. You can go on Twitter and really kind of share something with everybody and see it. Facebook is very uh, different. Um, you know, people can search by hashtags or by at names and really kind of learn things on on in in Facebook. In, I mean, on Twitter. Um, that doesn't really happen so much in Facebook. It's more of a closed system. And really to break through to that, you need more um, individual ads and you can reach a lot more people. Um, and not so much in Twitter. And I think a lot of people can say whatever they want. And I think that's the difference in Twitter. They'll let you lie um, in your tweets. They just don't want you to pay in, in order to make it easier to reach people. And I just don't think Facebook cares or they say, hey, we're going to be as open as we can. Um, there's going to be um, folks looking for these fake Facebook ads and they're going to eat crow. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I just think it'll be another scandal that happens um, in the middle of the spring at some point. It's going it's gonna to hit. Um, but I, I, I also think that if there's any kind of false ads um, for, for voting locations, that they will be taken to court. Um, and the last thing I want to you know, mention in this is that, you know, now that most of newspaper and magazine advertising has gone to Facebook and Google and Twitter, um, you no longer have about a million fact checkers out there working in newsrooms. And as you know, and when we worked right. in newspapers, when we used to get political ads, they would always go through the managing editor or something like that. And they would always get looked at to see, does this meet our standards, whether this is um, right or wrong, um, you know, and it's a really high bar or low bar that you have to meet to meet standards because we'll let people go on, on First Amendment. But there's times that you always let the editorial staff know it so that if you want to investigate it, if you want to write about how it's not right, if you want to do all these other things, and you can't do this on Facebook and Twitter where all these ad dollars go now. Um, and, you know, you, we know that CNN um, and, and, and some of the major TV broadcasters are going to do the same thing. They're going to look at these before they decide to run them. They don't just blanket say okay to everything like Facebook does. And I think it's it's that's you know that when you don't have that editorial side, but you're buying ads, it's that new element that has to be handled. It has to be dealt with. And I don't think the right way is to give make them a news organization because I don't think that they would ever be able to do that right. Um, and, but you need some people to look through it and, and journalists are the best trained. And that's why it always kind of worked that way in the past. It's just now the systems aren't set up, um, for, you know, to handle it. And, and, you know, again, it's the demise of, of, of what does, you know, kind of protected us in the past. So, you know, soapbox now put away and in the closet. <laughs> well, you know, I, my, I, to me really, I've, I've always found the idea of people getting their news from social media to be unsettling to begin with, because you know, I would say to anyone, do not go to one source to get your news. It's fine if you see something on Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever uh, about so-and-so politician doing such and such. Great. Okay. Well, go to your local newspaper 
uh, you know, old school word here, go to your local local news website and see what's going on behind that. Or read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or L.A. Times or USA Today. But, you know, or, or go on PBS or, you know, even watch cable news if, if they might have something about it. But do not simply rely on news from social media, given as, as you've already, you know, covered quite well, sort of how these things are vetted, which they're not. Um, so it's, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, sort of the sense I think from politicians is it doesn't really matter if Twitter has political ads anyway, because frankly, they don't really use it that much for campaigning. Right. Uh, but yeah, because there's no I, real I need either. Right. I mean, don't you, I mean, just the way the platform is set up compared to Facebook, you don't really need it and you don't have right, as many people exactly. on it. Exactly. It's, I, you know, I don't think Twitter is effective in the way Facebook is, but still I thought it was interesting that Twitter would make this decision. And again, I think it's because of pushback from users. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you that probably Facebook is not going to follow suit. It, there, there's absolutely no reason yeah, to. Yeah, not willingly. Again, what I, yeah, not willingly, precisely. Um, I, I just think in the end of the day, everybody, myself included, needs to be going to multiple sources to learn about current events, mm-hmm. not just what, you know, your uncle Fred and wherever, what he posts one day that this is true, uh, you know, because it's probably not. And that goes for if it's liberal news or conservative, you know, conservative news or it's just, you know, check the source and then find others to back it up. That's yeah, yeah, always it, the best and, idea. You but, know, I, you know, I guess, again, I the, the genie's out of the bottle with all of this, I, you know, I it would be nice to see some real reforms mm-hmm, in the exactly. future, but like like with public the public health system, I think we're a long way from that. Yeah, and you know I agree with you completely that 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 um, some sort of legislation, some, some you know something that has to protect um, the public. I think because of the nature of these social media environments, um, right. you know you know you talk about having to go to multiple sources to get your news. Well, the reason why they're not. Uh, um, uh, looked at well for advertising dollars is because they don't get the audience that these large social media organizations can because they only become successful when you have more and more people on them because everyone wants one place that they can just go to and say this is what I ate for dinner or this is where I went on vacation or this is what my kids are doing and you need it to be a singular place for a reason for in order to share that information to have that connectivity and 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 you know politically our our our, our political laws haven't been uh, able to adapt to actually that Facebook phenomenon, and it's really only going to be one. As we know, everyone's on MySpace, everyone left MySpace and went to Facebook, and there has to be a way to do it. Not everybody's on Twitter because it's different. It it is just the way that it is, and um, you know, Friendster never made it. Um, it is big in Asia. A <laughs> no. lot of people are, are are still on Friendster there because that's where they adopted and they got it. And now Facebook has to find their way in. Um, and and but in the West, it's Facebook, and you know we have to deal with that. Um, you know, and I hate to you know I don't like government interference as much as anybody, but when when you have a way that technology has made it that people want to share their information. And that's really all they want to do. They don't want to pay for it. 
They don't want anything else to go on. But because you have these millions of things, they, you will then become a tool in order to do this, to be bombarded with advertising when they're not getting it through newspapers or journalistic organizations. Um, you know, the display advertising, the advertising rates, and as we've seen all of our friends and colleagues all lose their jobs because people are sharing stuff about dinner. Um, it, it, it really makes you say, do does this company really, and should they, does it help? Um, and we have to, you know, maybe cap that or do something. I don't know where to start, but you have to talk about an idea of, 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 of your, if you're in, just in social media for people to share information, then, you know, we have to ha- start having that discussion. What does that mean? And how do we keep everything else alive? And how do we afford to have these fact checkers who are basically just journalists anyway? And it's really only every two and four year period where we need to really be concerned about advertising. That's, 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 uh, you know, contrary to free and fair elections. Um, how do you handle that? Um, and oh, I think that discussion needs to be had. I mean, I can start throwing out some, um, which, which, which comes into regulation, but I don't think that's effective. I think people need to understand what it is and we need to figure it out because Facebook can't, um, be what it is. Um, and, and for it to work, I, I, you know, we've, we've, we've seen the results and the results will continually be interference. And, and, you know, there's no other way about it because you're giving a free open open pathway to to hundreds of millions of people. And once you do that, I mean, that's why these these uh, these countries that are exploiting it have closed down their systems because they won't let that happen. They know that. And who knows? It could even have come from a CIA um, you know, research report that said, hey, if China ever goes to Facebook, we'll, we'll bring down, down the Communist Party. And they said, well, you know what? We're going to do it to you. I mean, we don't know any of these things, but these social, uh, you know, power of these social networking um, you know, uh, sites are are unheard of. And, and, and until we start talking about it realistically, the problem is going to continue. Uh, couldn't agree more, for sure. So it's uh, watch this space, as the saying goes. As it's a... Well, this has been a really interesting podcast, John. Thank you so much again for the opportunity. Thank you, Karen. Um, it's been fun to have you do be the leader of the soon. podcast this time and kind of doing the intros and stuff. It's been, it's been interesting and fun. <laughs> I, to those listening, please excuse me. It's my first time handling that, so I'll try to. I I, I will work on it more. <laughs> hey, and if you like Karen more, she'll do it full time. Oh well. I don't know if we want to torture people that much, John, but again, thank you so much and thank you to all our listeners out there and have a great, great week, everybody. Talk to you next time. Thanks, Karen. Bye.